0: Hey, folks, I'm Tom. And this is Keith. And uh, you should know that by now if you're listening to this very program. We talk a lot about the Dunlap Champions Club. Often it has to do with football season, but the season is over.
1: It's in the rearview mirror. But very important note here, don't put the Dunlap Champions Club in the rearview mirror. One of Tallahassee's largest event spaces, the Champions Club is quickly becoming the go-to place for charity functions, meetings, and events. Located on the fourth floor, Champions Club consists of an east area, a west area, or you can buy them featuring floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking Bobby Bowden Field, providing a spectacular view for all of your guests. We've been there. We've done it. It's worth it
0: great event space Uh, if the fourth floor doesn't suit your needs there's also the sixth floor whether it's the southeast terrace or the southwest terrace regardless of configuration uh, or number of folks the dunlap champions club a great uh, event space and can accommodate your needs for more information mr jones
1: let's see you should call the fsu champions club.com excuse me fsu champions club.com do you call do you call the website or do you You, just log into the call the number oh what's the number the number is 644-1830 or again online fsu Champions Club.com. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We're done.
2: Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank studios in the capital city of Tallahassee. This is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener online at CTF.NU. Now, here's Tom and Keith.
0: Good day, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. The bad news for everybody, we're back and as mediocre as ever. KJ, how are you?
1: (laughs) Well, we're hoping for a better start. We're hoping for a better start. And by the way, we're getting right to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline because uh, even though we're using real high-class technical uh, apparatuses here, Uh, We're still technically calling Tommy on his cell phone. So uh, Earl Bacon Agency hotline is getting fired up. Earl Bacon Agency, Ensuring Your Future Together. Tommy, with an extended, uh, should we call it a vacation, or are you doing recon for future events?
0: Uh, We could call it a little bit of both. Uh, I'm also staying at my in-laws' house, so choose your terminology wisely there. (laughs) I'm out of earshot right now, so I can can say
1: that, right? Understood, understood.
0: Um, All right. Keith, so the good news is Florida State has not lost a football game in this new year, twenty nineteen. So we, we are, off we, to a great are
1: start. we are undefeated. We are undefeated. Aspirations and expectations are high, uh, and um, we're very pleased with our new offensive coordinator. With everything we've seen,
0: <laughs> exactly. So we'll <laughs> get into that momentarily, folks. Uh, we do this show each and every week at six o'clock. You know that by now. Just to set the lineup for today, our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us next segment, and we'll. Uh, Talk at length about football and also basketball. I did not watch any of yesterday's game, Keith. I know you were there to call it, so we'll get into that. There's also a lot to react to, uh, not just Florida State, but uh, in the big picture world of college football related to bowls and CFP and, and all that. So, do you want to start there or do you want to start with Kendall Bryles?
1: Let's start with the bigger picture and then we'll save, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Bryles, but we'll save the bulk of that conversation for Tim. First of all, and and, and I think everyone. If there's anyone out there that saw this coming, I'd like to know what their rationale was. But the, the change at the University of Miami caught me completely off guard.
0: Yeah, that one caught me off guard too. And I have not been – I can't say that I've been very close to that, obviously, but I think what it appears that it came down to is Mark Rick didn't want to fire his son, who's his quarterback coach. And, you know, some parallels, not that Mark was here at the time, but parallels to, to Bobby and Jeff – in that, I think I think Mark's son is named John Rick, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. But basically, was correct. in his mid twenties, got the job as quarterback coach. I think he's 29 now. Doesn't have a long pedigree or track record, and it sounds like Mark was going to have to make some changes. By the way, Manny Diaz went and cleaned house on on the whole offensive staff, and 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 coach didn't want to do that. I, the one thing that surprises me, and I don't know if this has come out or if it'll ever come out since Miami's private. Mark Rick just. Re upped last year before the season after the 10 win season from a year ago. Correct. For six years and 24 million and coach one season. So he had five years and 20 million left on that contract. And I find it hard to believe that he just retired and walked away from 20 million. It seems to me that there had to be some sort of gentleman's agreement settlement. I'll give you some savings and, uh, you know, you'll still give me some cash, and I won't badmouth Miami on the way out the door kind of thing. I don't know. What's your thought on that?
1: I, I don't know, Tommy. I will tell you this. Being the high caliber and high character guy that, that Mark is, it would not surprise me if he walked away from $20 million because he, he either didn't want to fire his son or did not want to be involved in all the other changes. He would make that decision. Money money is not as of the same significance to Mark as it may be to most of us. Um, so that would not surprise me, uh, and I do agree with you that although I don't think the complete reason uh, for his discomfort would be uh, dismissing John, I think he either came to the conclusion or it was brought to his – his. Uh, Thought process that that what he was doing just doesn 't work down there uh, because they they had some pretty significant issues on the offensive side of the ball that much like florida state i don 't think you 're going to correct in a season, and obviously Manny you know played his hand appropriately. Um, I, I think Temple uh, is the only school i 've ever known that has made money off of hiring and letting a coach go. I think they made four million dollars for having Manny on the payroll for seventeen days, if I read correctly. So it wouldn't surprise me if we never know the true reason. But by the same token, it would not shock me uh, that Mark would walk away from that kind of money, given given what I know about him and, and given uh, the, the character of, of the person that he is, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I don't disagree with that. And that goes back to when he was first hired, even though he had played at Miami. To me, Mark Rick never fit the the Miami model. To me, it seemed like a bad fit just given who Mark was, to, to go down to South Florida and try and reinvigorate the Canes. And obviously, it it turns out it didn't work out. Interestingly, sort of shifting gears, well, I guess we should finish the, the Manny Diaz portion of it. Manny Diaz, as people know, is a Florida State alum, and I remember vividly sitting next to Manny quite frequently in the Mike Martin Field, Dick Houser Stadium press box, because he was sports editor at the FS View. This would have been... I'm going to guess mid-90s or so. And then he, he ended up trying to get on the broadcast side, went up to ESPN and did a, an internship up there before he came back and became a GA and got into the coaching ranks with Chuck Amato and all that. Uh, but was a good guy, was a Florida State guy, literally was sports editor of the FSU. And, and think back to the mid-90s. I mean, he was at Florida State. And, again, I don't know the years offhand. But right in the middle of FSU, never losing a home game and hardly losing a game, period. Uh, but now he goes back after 17 days, as you mentioned, I think it's a good hire for Miami. I do think he's a Miami guy. He's Cuban-American. His dad's the former mayor there. Uh, I hate to say it, but as good as he's been on the defensive side of the ball, I think that's a good hire for Miami, depending on what he ends up hiring on the offensive side.
1: That becomes the question. And then by extension, to further that, one of the – coaches that quote unquote is now available is a coach with Florida State ties that was discussed when Willie Taggart was being hired and that's the receivers coach and Ron Dugans. Uh, he's now available, and, and theoretically, Florida State might have an uh, an opening. If, if, in fact, they end up moving DK back to a, an inside position, Coach DK, then you would need a receivers coach, potentially. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm making that conversation up. I've not heard anybody talk about it. I'm just uh, speculating on my own because of Ronnie's ties to Florida State and the prior conversations that uh, did take place, at least in the media, social media, if you will, uh, last time around.
0: Well, and I thought you were going to mention Larry Fedora's name because his name is out there as well as we record this, as being the offensive coordinator potentially for DS. But uh, we'll see. As we as we have talked about from last year, and we saw with Florida State, a lot of a coaching staff is not necessarily uh, resume and experience over the years. A big portion of that is fit and chemistry and getting it right. So. Uh, you know, you can get a lot of guys that look good on paper but don't necessarily mesh behind closed doors. No That's part of what Manny has to figure out as well. What, what I was going to say related to Mark Rick, and th- th- I would have never thought this, but uh, somebody had a stat on social media that in light of Georgia's loss last night, the first three years of Kirby and Mark Rick at Georgia are almost identical, except that Rick has two fewer losses, same amount of wins. It's like 36-8 and versus 36-10. and same amount of championship game appearances for the, in the SEC. Same amount of conference titles. Uh, it's, it's almost uncanny that it's that even. Uh, and I bring that up as a segue into the college football playoff discussion, Keith, because there was all this rhetoric over the weekend about how Georgia should have been the fourth team in. And lo and behold, they go and lay a huge egg. I mean, they got dominated from start to finish after running their mouth on social media. And so the argument turns into, well, they really weren't motivated because they were left out of the playoff. But uh, there was lots of debate about the playoff, the one that I thought was new as we watched the playoff games unfold the other night, all of a sudden the conversation became we can't expand because the games won't be competitive. And that's the first time I remember hearing that. Prior to that, the main argument has been that it will water down the regular season, not that the games may or may not be competitive because we've had non-competitive bowl games and Super Bowls and playoff games for years and it never seems to be a reason not to expand. So I wasn't buying it this time around either.
1: I, I don't buy it as well. And I think the other sad commentary, and, and you may be shocked at what I'm fixing to say, that the, the sad commentary is that Georgia lost their bowl game because they didn't want to be there. And that is a very, very sad commentary on the state of Georgia collegiate athletes today and it goes all the way back to sitting out bowl games to prepare for the draft to not being inspired to play in a bowl game you know you go back and talk to people my age and older and we were we were thrilled to be able to go to a bowl game we would have never considered that a slap in the face in today's athlete it's all about what ring can i get what championship can i win and it and it, it it almost saddens and certainly even to some degree sickens me because i can guarantee i watched the entire georgia game they did not want to be there and that's the reason they lost and that's a sad commentary on today's college athlete
0: well it's not just college athlete i mean look at the steelers best receiver who when the steelers need to make the you know, need well, that's because he's an idiot. And need good things he's just an well, idiot. I'm just saying. <laughs> it, he's it been an idiot for a long and time. It, it had nothing it to do with this This year. <laughs> um, yeah, the Georgia thing, it, it just certainly, they did get dominated. Uh, and so I was, personally, I was pleased to see that. And, and as far as the college football playoff goes, you and I, I think, have been in agreement about expanding this thing to eight. My My bigger point, or maybe my... My main point would be if we're going to stay at four, and I've articulated this previously, can we just write down what the three or five or 25 or 99 criteria are and how many points each one's going to be worth so that at the end of the day we have some sort of formula and we know which four teams are in instead of a committee changing the rules of the game every time they get behind you closed You want to doors? go to the
1: That's ultimate really metric system is what you're saying.
0: Well, I, I mean, you know, you can manipulate the computers, too. So if we, won't, if we don't want to go back to the beast, I am suggesting similar to that. But if we don't want to truly make it, uh, uh, you know, as non-transparent as that may be because we don't understand the computer formulas, just come up with whatever the 17 things are and let us all know. We're going to factor in strength of schedule, and we're going to factor in yards per play, and we're going to factor in points per game and red zone efficiency, and these are the 10 things. And if you're team number five based on all those criteria, well, too bad. I just the, – the committee thing in this world where everybody brings personal biases to every conversation, to think that you can get 11 people in a room and have them be neutral and, and truly come to a, a, a neutral consensus or an unbiased consensus, it, it just doesn't happen. So, I mean, I, I am in favor of that. That said, I'm still a proponent of moving this thing to eight. The fact the games weren't competitive means nothing. Uh, I mean, you're going to have that uh, – David Hale was tweeting out today that – uh, you know, the last several years, the top eight teams have gone four and four in bowl games. This year, they went three and five. So if you go to an 18 playoff, guess what? The top eight teams are going to go four and four in bowl games. I mean, yeah. that's that's just the reality of it. Here's and the only, I thing, that, the here's the only part, thing I disagree comes, with you, Tommy.
1: Here's the only thing I disagree with you. You can't tell me the committee hasn't gotten it right through the first five years. The process I, might have been flawed. The process might have been I mean, flawed, but I don't think we would disagree on who the top four teams were each year as it turned out
0: people have i mean even people have but i'm talking about me and you
1: i'm talking about me and you the people that have are the people that were number five or number six and their fan base and or their collective media raising but i think if you go back and look at the last five years the committee has gotten it right whether the process was flawed or not
0: yeah i'd have to sit back and look i think it's debatable i mean this year you could make a case for ohio state and i'm the last guy in the world that would make a case for urban meyer uh, you know, I didn't like Alabama getting in without going to the SEC championship game. Um, but I, I see what you're saying on that. I just don't like the the non-transparent nature and the change in the rules of the game aspect of it. Uh, so I'm in favor. And, it, and then when you get to access, and we haven't even talked about UCF, uh, I know people have UCF fatigue, but I, I credit their AD for elevating the conversation and forcing that conversation nationally, even though we all got tired of it. Uh, because that would have never happened had they, had they not compl- uh proclaimed themselves national champs and paid their coaches buyouts and got the players rings. Well, I mean, not, you can laugh again, at not it to if disagree you want, with you, but, but I, it, think it, I think winning twenty something
1: ball games on the road did it too. It wasn't just the actions of the AD.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, you have to you have to win, and that's why yesterday a big deal was made about LSU winning. And uh, for the record, as somebody who's been in New Orleans and watched that at an LSU watch party. Uh, you you could not have convinced me that the LSU fans there weren't motivated or didn't care about that bowl game.
1: And see, that's that's what that's LSU was yeah.
0: motivated and played well.
1: And see that's what frustrates me. You you've got a team like Georgia that that came up just short and they lay an egg cuz they don't want to be there and you got a team like LSU that is still fighting and clawing and and in my opinion doing everything you want a college athletic program to do and and it and, and it showed on the field in dramatic fashion.
0: It did, and Keith, you're you're back to your old school ways, and I, I don't know how we're going to return things to our, our uh, earlier roots. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I hate that guys sit out bowl games now, but I'm telling you, pretty soon guys will be sitting out the second half of the season. I mean, they won't think twice about missing a rivalry game. If their agent or their, the NFL indicates that they've got interest in them, They'll play a year year and a half, and they'll sit for a year and a half. That's
1: just where we're headed i'm I, and i'm and I'm shaking my head in agreement and not liking the fact that I'm shaking my head in agreement. I hear you and I hate it.
0: Ah all right, you know where you should head Keith I'm especially think... if you have uh I'm, canine pals. Yeah, yeah I'm thinking Madison maybe a little, I'll a little diversion fill might be in the necessary. Blanks on this. Well, fill in the blanks on this because I don't have the details in front of me. Well, but first uh, I of know all, some sort of doggy wedding. Well,
1: up. before we get to that, remember that, that Madison Social is your away game watch party headquarters for all Florida State away game basketball games. And obviously, they should be where you want to be before or after home games. But on January 13th at 10 a.m., they have a dog wedding program set up. Uh, it, it'll occur at township, the actual ceremony, the wedding ceremony will be at township and then there'll be a reception at Centrale with, uh, doggy treats and those types of things for your pups. Now, one thing in order for them to be politically correct and and in light of today's legal environment, they do want everyone to know that they will have a pre-pupcial, pre agreement station available if you need to enter into said contract before the ceremony. So govern yourself accordingly.
0: I don't even know where to go with that. I can only imagine what the bridal parties will look like for those. um, Uh,
1: Where I just am continually amazed at what Matt and his people are able to come up with from a thought process. I would not have ever dreamt of this in my life.
0: New Year, same old Madison social is what you're saying, which is a good thing.
1: Exactly. Same old Tim Lindefelt, although
0: actually he's he's even more mature this year in 2019 and more refined. And our Seminoles.com insider will join us next here in Front Row Knolls.
2: Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith.
0: On front row, Nols, we're turning it back. Hard to believe that's two decades since we partied like it was 1999. As we tell it, go to inside of Tim Lunsell. Tim, we're already to party like it's 1999 all over again. So please bring good news. Tell us it's going to happen. Well, I'm still partying like it's 1999. I never really stopped. So uh, for me,
3: this is an old hat. But uh, but yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's a new year. uh, some, Some obviously some things uh switched with the uh, the Florida State football program uh last off, and then maybe some more things in the offing. and uh lots of times right now uh for, for both Florida State basketball programs. Uh the men finish their Don campaign twelve and one. They have a big game against Virginia uh, on Saturday and uh, the women are uh, at the top twenty-five the to their top 25 campaign uh as well. So uh know, yeah, I'd say
0: it's a, it's, a, it's a nice feeling. Uh the State by, by by my estimation. It is, and I uh, confess to Keith in the first segment, I watched uh, Nary at second of yesterday's basketball game, so I can add nothing to that conversation. Uh, and we haven't even discussed it yet, but I guess we'll start there, and then we'll get right into Kendall Bryles. But uh, apparently, Phil Koper looked like the Phil Koper of old. Is that what I'm to ascertain from what I read about that matchup? He did for uh, a lot of it. You know, he scored uh, 12 points first handful
3: of minutes. The game had 14 points by halftime. Uh, but then he didn't score in the second half. So you know, I thought during that that burst, uh, particularly when he was knocking down three pointers, uh, that yeah, he looked exactly like he expected. And then after uh, after the game, uh, you know, Leonard Hamilton said that you know it's still uh, you know a matter of kind of working him into to you know full on game shape and being able to play extended. And if I forget his exact total from Wednesday, or from Tuesday, I think it was around between 25 and 30 minutes. And Leonard, even said that active work. Uh, that they didn't really intend to play him as long as he did. Uh, but when he's playing as well as he was, or, you know, not? Uh, so, you know, I think the, the takeaway for me there is that, you know, that the, the effectiveness that he had last year in terms of, you know, one, shooting from outside, but also being able to get to the basket, the versatility he provides as a as a, a big man who shoot, uh, that's still in there, which is a really good sign. Uh, and now it's just a matter of, of getting him back to the point where he can play, you know, more than 30 minutes, you know, maybe play I think get closer to 40. I mean, he's not there yet. But he's certainly a good point where you know, he can contribute, um, and that's obviously good news uh, going into Saturday at Virginia.
1: Yeah, I think there was no uh, no no doubt that fatigue was the issue in his uh, efficiency, and that'll get uh, incrementally better the more he gets out on the court.
0: 12-1 is the graph. I'll talk about that for matchup later in the show, but let, let's talk about Kendall Bryles. It's been a few weeks since we did a show together. And uh, this is what was rumored. It wasn't official at that point. There's the on-field component. There's the off-field baggage, which uh, truthfully, from a PR standpoint, Florida State hasn't taken much of a hit thus far. But I have no doubt that that's coming, whether it's you know in spring practice or the start of next year, there'll be some national pundits that will that will fire away. But, but Tim, from an on-field standpoint, you really can't argue with the success that he's had as an offensive coordinator, be it. At Baylor, at FAU, at Houston, it would appear that this is going to be a pretty quick and good fix for Florida State's offensive ailments. I mean, I think I think so, and you're right. You know, uh,
3: from from a on field perspective, I mean, the guy in four years as an offensive coordinator, his offenses have averaged almost 42 points per game. I mean, you know, come on, I mean that's uh, that's you know pretty remarkable, um, and so we look at Florida State and, and look at the, you know, the offensive direction, certainly from last year, but even beyond that, uh, the idea of bringing in a guy who uh, four points uh, at that type of rate, uh, I mean, that's uh, pretty attractive. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, you know, Baylor's in the power of five, obviously, if they if they, if they you and you or not, but, I mean, those are places that, you know, they, they move the ball, they score points. Um, and then I look at it also from the perspective of, you know, it's a guy who, who, who scores a lot and moves the ball, but he also, I think, is, is pretty aligned, with uh, with Willie Patrick's philosophies, I mean, it's not going to be a complete overhaul in, in what they're trying to do. Like, I don't think you're going to be sending all spring uh, learning concepts or learning uh, a new way of playing football. Which is, you know, you recall what had to happen last. You know, those guys uh, they they spent uh, an awful lot of time learning stuff completely new and different. And even on in the spring and every run of the call. and you know, quite honestly, probably the uh, during the during the season as well. You know, you're still in the learning series, so you're not hitting the complete and total reset button. You're building on the foundation that you laid last year, and, and having somebody uh, who is familiar with the concept and, and agrees with what you want to do, and, and you know, showing them something you really, really good at doing.
1: Well, if you want to talk simplicity, you don't get any more simplistic than this guy's. And I don't know if you've heard this, but I've I've read it in a couple of different places. He does not have a playbook. There is no playbook. There's nothing in writing. <laughs> It's all based on that's colors and it, the colors and numbers. Exactly. It's all based on colors and numbers, and you learn the system, I mean. and then they call the play. There you go, and
3: that's and that's kind of the way. I mean, this whole thing is designed to work, right? I mean, you, the, the the whole point, which uh, which you know we, was what we were talking about, really, kind of this time last year's. You know, guys don't have to think about what they're doing. Um, you know, they have to, to wonder and have to the Pythagorean theorem. It's the like you said, a color or, uh, or an image or whatever on the sideline, and then it's... Time. Um and uh, and then obviously uh, you know he's been effective at implementing it. Uh, you know he spent a short amount of time at FAU and a short amount of time at, uh, at Houston, and, and got those offenses and they were rolling. So um, you know I mean I, to me it's a, it's a really encouraging thing and, and, a, and a positive step in the right direction. And uh, I don't think it's fascinating. I touched on this, but, you know, they said officially, um, you know, in the press release that I mean he's going to call plays. He's a primary play caller. I'll, on the offense. will have to put uh, final input in the head coach. But uh, it says straight up. And the here to
1: help play. Tommy, I want to go back to your Hi. comment about off the field. Um, I would think, and maybe I'm, again, old-fashioned, but I would think that if there was going to be great pushback, that pushback would occur sooner as opposed to later. I don't think it'll occur during spring or during next fall. I, I would have thought it would have occurred now, with the voices raising, whatever, about the hire. What what, what am I missing?
3: Yeah, well, you're you're probably, go ahead, Jim. Go ahead, Jim. Well, I think you're probably right. Uh, you know, it would shock me if, uh, if it came up again. Um, particularly, you know, at some point I would think he's going he's to make a for the first time, whether it be uh, in a press conference setting or in a pre practice, post practice, something like that. Uh, over the next month, and then, you know, it could uh, sure up again. Uh, but by and large, uh, you know, it's been, um, been been pretty quiet on that.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, Keith, that the reality is when there's 80 teams or however many are in a bowl game and your school is not one of them, you're not being talked about right now. So when this will get talked about is when Florida State starts having on-field success whether that comes right away, whether it comes by putting up 50 points against Boise State or FSU gets out to a you know, a 3-0 or 4-0 start, it'll come at some point. But, uh, you know, I mean, it is what it is, and, and he's on board now. And I, I said this previously on our show, Keith. I mean, we all know he was at Baylor during that time, but beyond that, uh, you know, we can make assumptions about what he may or may not have known, but, but that's all we can do about it. And I, I know a lot of people are divided on it. Uh, the ship has sailed. they vetted him. He's been hired. Now this is the third institution that's hired him since then. And so, you know, he's the offensive coordinator for FSU. And I, I do think offensively uh, on the field, you're going to see some really good results. I did say, you know, getting back to that part of the conversation, Tim, you might've seen this on social media, but I don't know him, but I think his name is Jake Trotter who covers the big 12 for, for ESPN.com. He has a stat out there. There were four bowl games this year that were big 12 versus SEC, And I'm, I'm, putting this out there for those who may think that Big 12 offenses you know, just put up points against one another and can't do it if you're playing against the SEC or ACC. But in those four head-to-head matchups, the average was like 38 points for the Big 12 team and like 480 yards. I mean, case in point, Texas last night, I mean, Oklahoma put up points on Alabama. So, I mean, I think that bodes well. There is a little bit of a misnomer that they play zero defense in the Big 12 uh, when the reality is they play some pretty good offense in the Big 12. No, I think that's absolutely true. And, and also, I mean, it's,
3: it's not, the, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be both, right? I mean, you can, you can have a good Big 12 offense and also have a quality defense on the other side of it. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be an either-or situation. Obviously, that's something that the Florida State's going to have to have. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think the the idea and the, the sort of the dream scenario, if you will, is that you get the type of offense that, that you know, Kimmel Browns has shown himself uh, capable of, of creating and then, Pair that with uh, the kind of defense that the Florida State, you know, wants to have and it has had, uh, you know, in the past. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you get a, you know, a pretty scary football team.
0: Well, let's let's, you know, there continues to be conjecture and speculation that he's bringing a line coach with them. Now, as Keith and I mentioned in the first segment, Ron Dugans is looking for works. Manny Diaz didn't retain him. I, you know, I don't know who's going to land where. But Tim, when do you think we'll have? Uh, some finality to what the new coaching staff will look like for Florida State. We're, you know, as we talk, we're basically a month away from the second signing day, which is not a, as big a deal as the first, but, you know, in the case of Florida State, still a pretty big one out there. I mean, they've got five, I think, key commits there, and they'll probably end up signing eight or ten more. When do you think we'll have some some finality to this?
3: I think it'll probably be
0: pretty soon. I mean, the, the bowl games aside from the national championship team, you know, just wrapped up
3: uh, you know, yesterday, so you know, now it's kind of I the time when uh, when everybody you know, starts to shuffle. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if there were some news that you know, by the end of this week, maybe early next week, uh, and you start to get a, a little more, uh, I think you said, finality and, and, and some uh, resolution uh, to what's out there. So I think it'll be pretty soon. I, I don't know. That you're in a super hurry. I mean, like you said, you want to have it in place, you know, well in, in, in time for the for the next signing period, which um, you know, I do. I do think it's important for the state and another opportunity to, to you know, build some positive vibes uh, going into things. Um, but I, you know, I don't think it's just. I mean, if, if you don't have everything set up by Friday, like, I don't think it's awesome. Uh, I do think I'll probably hear something that You know, it's could to be as early as the end of this week. Um, and I think I'd probably be surprised if they didn't hear anything. Uh, through next
1: week plus I think we're in we're either in or beginning a dead period from a recruiting standpoint because then the uh, coaches association meetings take place i think next week, middle of next week, and then you ramp right. back up for the uh, quote unquote now late signing period so it it right. uh, it so, may not you know, be necessary think, you know, is what you know, I'm the,
3: saying yeah the key, you, know, you, you, you want to have everybody or as, as many as you can uh, in place you know when it's time to get back out on the road and then and finally have a new of staff. I'd be able to show that you're chasing, uh, you know, what you have and who the guys are and, and what they have to offer. Uh, but until then, you know, I don't know if it's, uh, any of, you know to panic or, or do anything peacefully. All
0: right, let's move off of football here, Tim. Last year, Florida State won two national titles. We're in the new calendar year. I know from a sports standpoint, we really follow the university and the academic calendar. But for the calendar year 2019, which Florida State athletics team program is most likely to win a national championship? Who's next? Oh gosh, I, you know
3: I could see. Uh, can, I, can I pick a repeat? I think uh, I think that Doctor has a really good chance uh, to do it again. Uh, so that's a really quality team, and, and a lot of the, the, the really important players uh, from that team are back. Obviously, uh, Dana Casillas uh, is expected to be back, and also uh, use Zhao, the midfielder, who's apparently here here. Your goalkeeper situation is so strong. You have to replace uh Nikaya from your back line which would be a uh, tough. I mean that's a really talented team um and it's still a fairly young team and, and you know that Mark uh you know recruits uh, internationally as well as anybody uh in the sport. You know, I think I think they're probably looking at a I don't know if they're preseason number one, they're gonna be preseason top five at worst. Uh, and as long as you have a talent uh, you know, like like Damon Casiano up front, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to be counting too far out when you talk about Casiano. So, uh, you know, I think that's probably probably my top place. But I think South can have a really good year too. I mean, I've been missing them. Uh, Jesse Warren, I, I mean, that's a really good team as well. Uh, young building blocks uh, there, and, and obviously, yeah, you know, Megan King is back, and she continues to build to the Both she had. I mean, you're talking about you know, national picture of the year contenders.
0: Don't forget beach volleyball. That's what yeah, free- sure, they're sure. going to break through. Nothing nothing
3: like media, yes. Yes. you know, it was going on the title. That's a one, one, right? <laughs> not, not exactly catching that out on a win, But, yeah, uh, no, and I'm going to uh, try to brought up. They've been part of the field really close to it uh, a year ago. And, and, you know, I think it, it's been something like they're going to keep knocking on that door sooner or later. It's uh, going to come open for you.
0: Tim, I, I tell you what, I think we've uh, we've overstayed. Uh, your welcome this time around. So we'll we'll let you uh, get going. We'll we'll be back. The band will be more back together next week than we are in these disjointed three locations uh, as we currently speak. But happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, guys. Thank you. Our Seminole insider Tim Lenefeld. Keith, I told you he, he seemed more refined this year, didn't he? I mean, it's a new year. He's a year older. He's a little more seasoned.
1: I, I think he's grown up. I do. Our, our little boy is getting older. Yeah, how about that?
0: All right, uh, we'll get older as well and you probably will too if you keep listening to the show, but we've got two more segments to go and we'll do the next one right after this on Front Row Knolls. <laughs>
2: Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith.
0: Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. If we sound as if we're far away, we literally are. I'm still in New Orleans. Finishing up the holiday break, Keith Jones is uh, in the studio. KJ, Happy New Years once again, and uh, we appreciate Tim Linnefeld joining us via the Earl Bacon Agency outline, which is actually uh, what I'm using today as well. And uh, KJ, one thing you know we didn't mention with uh, with Tim, and I'll just point it out here because it seems it will be very odd, and there'll be a lot of talk about this pretty soon. But the year 2019 is the year last for one Mike Martin, aka Eleven. And it's hard to even fathom that. Uh, Whichever side of the fence you fall on about Mike Martin, who hasn't won the big one but has won about everything else, uh, this is his last go-round, and and they'll roll out the the bats and balls here pretty soon.
1: Exactly. And, you know, uh, when you talk about, all right, what what step does Florida State take from here, I think one of the things that's been encouraging in in this uh, era – is that Florida State has been able to continue to recruit to the program even though it was known that 11 would be spending his last year uh, in the dugout this year. Well, recruiting class is off the charts. Uh, the, the team they've got coming back is going to be rated very high in the preseason and uh, with some great expectations. And there, there doesn't appear, at least early on, to have been that big drop-off that you would expect when the legend steps down.
0: No, uh, exactly the opposite, and I haven't gotten any fall ball reports, but uh, I think there's there's a good core group there. They'll officially get into practice. I want to say the end of January they can do, uh, you know, limited drills between now and then. But another thing that's on the horizon at the end of, end of January, uh, Keith, is the Tallahassee Beer Festival. We've been talking about this. Uh, well, we started in early December. Now it's uh, less than a month away. Coming up the last Saturday in January, at the Tallahassee Center. And uh, com is where you can get all the information. But uh, this is going to be – if you enjoy hops, you need to hop on over because it will be a very good time indeed.
1: Uh, 1 to 5 during the afternoon or for the VIPs, and 2 to 5 is general admission. There will be food available from the Urban Food Court, and uh, Dreamland Barbecue will have a quick serve line. I'm not going to enter it because I'm not any good at it, but there will also be the 850 Cornhole Tourney, which will be hosted on site. I know that will be popular.
0: They haven't invited to call that action live yet, so we'll have to see if our talk to their folks and make that happen, Keith. Understood. Let's get back to college football. In light of uh, all the football that uh, took place over the last several days, one of the things that came up yesterday is, and it comes up every time there's a game, but it's the targeting rule and just how. uh, First of all, if you line up one hundred. Significant college football fans, like people who gamble, who watch football all the time. I guarantee you that 99 of them could not probably get even half the definition of what targeting is in the rule book. correct. Nobody knows what it is because of the way it's been enforced or not enforced from game to game. And then the second part of it is... So I guess the, the case I'm making before I get to the second part is it, it needs to be tweaked somehow. Would you agree with that premise at least?
1: I, I would agree. I think one of the problems, and I don't know I'll go as strong as you, based on the targeting calls that I've seen in the games that I have watched, uh, they've got them all right based on my understanding of the rule. And you and I know, and you know from me, I've spent a lot of time looking at this, and, and I've spent a lot of time with the director of officials at the ACC trying to understand it. The biggest issue is even the coaches don't understand the rule because they haven't taken the time to learn it. They think it's such a a crazy rule that they won't take the time to understand it. However, having said that, I think one of the things that came about, you and I were talking about this during the break, that would be a good first step towards a a better solution is to go flagrant one, flagrant two. In other words, it would be a targeting foul and you'd you'd be a fifteen yard penalty, but unless it was a flagrant two action, there would not be the dismissal from the ball game.
0: And I think that's the issue. And and Tim Brando, you know, well known well known broadcaster, he's advocating for that. Uh, Bud Elliott at Tomahawk Nation, SB Nation is advocating for that. But what you get into if you do that is you're trying to you're trying to determine intent, which is hard to do. But I do think, and I don't I don't disagree. The ones I saw yesterday. I think, right as well by the, by the rule. My problem with the rule is written is that there are instances and you see this quite frequently where there's no way the defender can know that the ball carrier is about to spin or pirouette or duck his head and so what starts out as, uh, as maybe a good form tackle and he's going to lead with the shoulder uh, ends up being the crown of the helmet into somebody's chest or somebody's helmet and so then you get a player tossed because by current rule it's targeting, when in reality, it's completely different than somebody who truly does. Like the one on the. Uh, boy, I watched so many games yesterday, I lost track of it. it might have been the LSU UCF game. But there was a, a clear sack of the quarterback or hit on the quarterback that was a launch right into the quarterback, clearly targeting, even if you change the rule, as compared to some that are a little bit more ambiguous or certainly unintentional, okay, Jack?
1: Well, and again, they're making it work in basketball, and it has been reasonably well received because they go back and look at it and then they classify it as a one or a two. Uh, I think at least as a first step, we ought to go in that direction Let's see where that leads us because, you know, uh, at least it's a movement in a direction away from the way we've got it currently.
0: I can tell you another thing that would help to the point about people not understanding the rule. You know, every time college football goes to overtime, ESPN calls up these are the rules of overtime to the point where we're all saying we know the rules of overtime, we don't need to see them anymore. Well, they need to do a better job of articulating what the, the rule of targeting is because people still don't realize that uh, you know, the launch is it's it's not thing, it's not ABC and B. C, it's one of those four things triggers the current foul, and, and one of them is leading with the current foul, but that's not all of them because the launch is involved. There's other things, and so I think basic education might help people and, and reduce some of the angst on this too.
1: Don't, don't disagree with that at all.
0: All right, so we've solved all the world's problems. What are your thoughts on Clemson and Alabama?
1: Uh, I think it's going to be a great ball game. I think it's going to be a game that is a little more high-scoring than, than we would anticipate despite the two great defenses. I think it's going to be a game that is actually going to be dictated by the running attack. And instead of it being the focus of the quarterbacks and how well they throw the ball and how many yards, I think the, the real defining difference is which of the two quarterbacks makes the least number of mistakes. Both in terms of checking at the line of scrimmage, getting in and out of plays, as well as the turnover battle, I, I'm excited for it. And I think back to our comment earlier: the, the playoff committee got it right. You can argue about Georgia versus Notre Dame, or you can argue about Ohio State versus Notre Dame, but you're doing that after watching Georgia and Notre Dame, Georgia and Ohio State play another ball game. Prior to that ball game, I think they got it right because Notre Dame had been playing well. But you're going to end up with the two best teams playing for the national championship in a great setting.
0: Yeah, and there was silly rhetoric uh, in light of the fact that the playoff games were not that competitive. Although Oklahoma, you got to credit Oklahoma for the way they fought back in that Alabama game. There was silly rhetoric saying we'd be better served just going back to two, which I thought to myself: everybody I know that's a fan at all is glued to their couch watching all four hours of these games. Why would we want to eliminate a game right. and go back to just the two, even if we know we're gonna, and we're not going to walk it back? I mean, the TVs. The TV dollars are already being spent, ESPN's selling the ads, ESPN's committed the dollars, they're making the money themselves. We're not going to walk it back from four to two, because we had a couple, or and it's been more than a couple, it's been a few years worth of non-competitive playoff games. I do think the reality is we'll expand, but I agree with you related to Clemson and Alabama, which quarterback makes the fewest mistakes, and, and the thing is, as much as I want to uh, pull for Clemson in this game, and a lot of FSU fans would say that if they want to see FSU's rival lose. I probably will be pulling for Clemson in this because I'm tired of Alabama. It's going to come down to Trevor Lawrence being able to make throws because, in my mind, I'm more, I have better confidence that Alabama will be able to run the football and be a little bit more balanced than I do that Clemson will be able to run the football and be balanced in this. So it feels like there's going to be more pressure throws to be made by Trevor Lawrence.
3: Possibly.
1: Possibly, but the one wild card is Entian. He is a home – he's like a Dalvin Cook anytime he touches the ball, and we saw that in in their game. He had 10 or 12 rushes for 29 yards, and then he takes off for that 60- or 70-yard jaunt. You know, you get just a little bit out of space. Your gap control just a little bit bad. He makes you pay, and that home run threat, uh, I mean, I really think that's to Clemson's advantage – and and maybe just maybe there's one or two out there for him sometime during that ball game.
0: It's going to be a good game. It's what we all expected. Uh, it's about a touchdown spread somewhere in there, maybe a little bit less. I think it opened at six and a half, something like that. But I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think Clemson will hold its own, and uh, that, that that's hard to say because as an FSU guy, it's been tough to to pass the torch because this isn't a one year thing. I mean, Clemson is the beast in the ACC right now. And Florida State's got some work to do to get back to that level.
1: A lot of work to do to get back to that level, no question. I'm trying to think if there's any other
0: loose ends to tie up on the college football front. I'm sure there are some, KJ. Well,
1: I think it goes back to, Go to recruiting and, and what FSU ends up doing in the, in the what used to be the signing period, now the later signing period. And it goes back to our conversation we had with Linnefeldt. I think with Bryles coming on board – I think if the offensive line coach that he wants does come with him, I think and it's maybe a little bit of a stretch about whether Dugans ends up being a viable candidate for the staff or not. What happens is those coaches bring one or two or sometimes three kids with them every time they move. So if you bring in three new coaches to Florida State, i.e. Briles, offensive line, and wide receiver, there's six to nine kids that may not have been on Florida State's radar that now are viable candidates to come to Florida State as players. You hate to talk about it that way, but that's the way it happens. And as a result, getting those coaches in place and getting them the opportunity to get in front of their best that they've got the greatest relationship with may end up being a very, very important come, uh, signing period time for Florida State as a program.
0: I want to follow up on that thought in our next segment, KJ, because if I do it now, it's like starting a story with two outs when you're calling a baseball game. So let's take a break. We'll come back and continue that conversation on Front Row All. Stay with us. It
2: was a beautiful day. sun beat down. I hit the radio. I was driving. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith.
0: A final segment here on Front Row Knowles. Happy New Year's to you and yours. Hope you had a great holiday and a truly happy new year. Hope everybody has a great 2019 keith and i uh separated here by about 400 miles but uh, we'll be back in the studio together next week so it'll sound uh maybe a little more uh, harmonious there'll be a little more continuity to it i can smack but, uh, you uh, when you get be... out of line yeah well that too speaking of which keith uh, manny diaz goes back to miami and this picks up on what you were saying last segment about you know you get some new coaches in and now all of a sudden guys that either weren't on the radar maybe they were on fsu's radar but they weren't interested in fsu and now that a different coaches involved they may be interested in fsu Uh, manny diaz had the temple job for 17 days and one of those days or three of them were the early signing period so you got all these guys who signed now granted he'd only been there 17 days so most of them had committed to the previous coach but he signs and then he bails and i'm not uh, putting this on manny because this happens consistently he's just the latest example So how do we solve this problem for guys that have signed? And it potentially could happen at Florida State, guys that signed and now the assistant coaches end up being different than what they anticipated when they signed. How do we give some freedom or flexibility or or what do we do to handle players that are in this boat?
1: Well, two things. You have to recognize that there is a defining line because they are student athletes. Are they registered in school and attending class or not registered in school and attending class? So an early signee... Who signs in December and starts taking classes in January, and then the coach leaves? He is in a different position than someone that didn't sign in December, was waiting to the February signing date, and wasn't going to enter school until either the summer or the fall. So I think you got two groups of people you got to pay attention to. And I think we are at the point now where it needs to be recognized and the coaches will hate it and and administrative folks will raise their their arms and, and it'll be frustrating as we get past it. But we are now at the point where if a head coach leaves, you have got to give the younger kids an opportunity to make new decisions based on new information somehow. But I do think there might have to be two different sets of rules, if that makes sense.
0: My point is the conversation needs to continue to move forward, though, because you've got the kids who just signed. What about the kids at Temple who liked the previous coach and they've been there three years and now they don't like the new coach, which they don't even have one as we talk? You know, are they allowed to, to move on and transfer without having to sit out a year? The reality is not, you know, coaches, don't, coaches are against it because they don't want to have to re-recruit all these kids and constantly be recruiting everybody. Uh, but but that's that's the way of the world. I mean, if you're an employer and you got somebody, they, they may leave and, and go across the street. I mean, I know you can get into non-competes and all that, but I, I just think there needs to be continued conversation about it because it's not fair to the student athletes.
1: I agree with the fact that there needs to be continued conversation. My my issue is from a practical, real-world standpoint. The most immediate need is a kid that signed with Temple in the early signing period because he thought Manny Diaz was going to be the coach, right, wrong, or indifferent. Has not enrolled in school yet, and now Manny Diaz is not the coach. We got to address the most immediate of needs. The kids that have been there for two or three years and a coach leaves, we've had that problem for 50 years. Okay. We just now have started in the last three or four years all of this quick change stuff. And so I'm thinking step one, step two in my thought process find a way to take care of the early the kids that are signing early in the period versus later in the period and the kids that haven't started school yet and you're right continue the conversation on what do we do with the kids that have been there for two years three years or whatever the case may be
0: yeah that makes sense the way you lay it out that way the reality is people brace for the worst and you know i always say it it's in the middle but if you're talking about a guy that's been in a school three or four years he may be annoyed that his head coach left but he may be 12 hours from graduating or he may have a girlfriend he's been dating for two years or he may not want to pack up and move somewhere else so it's not like it would be everybody on temple or insert school name here roster it would be some guys who feel like they were done wrong or done a disservice but i I do agree with what you're saying
1: And Uh, initially you're
0: talking about the the, the one that really burns me and, and other schools do this i mean it happened at lsu a few years ago they fired Damian Craig the day after signing day. They, they kept him on staff, let him sign all the recruits, and less than 24 hours later after these guys signed, they fired Damian Craig. And so, I mean, that was a true disservice. to. There had to be at least one or two kids in that class, probably more, who that might have been the reason they signed at LSU.
1: And that's why I'm saying, you know, we divide them into groups, and I I made two. There may be three or four groups when everything is said and done. But I've signed a letter of intent, but I have not enrolled in my first class And the coach that recruited me is no longer there. I should have some options.
0: Yeah, yeah, that might be. That's a good. That's a good first step. It's a good first step. Okay, tell everybody about our good friend Ron, and then let's talk basketball.
1: (laughs) Well, if you do have a home uh, do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, you can visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from. Stuckey Avenue here in Tallahassee, and down on Crawford, Crawfordville Highway. You can call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Serving the Big Ben since 1995, and one of our original and longtime sponsors here on Front Row Knowles.
0: Okay, FSU 12-1 and one through the non-conference, Keith. You can't really ask for much better than what they did here. Not all of these maybe currently measure up as solid as what they feel like, but, I mean, you've got wins over Florida, you got to win over LSU. You got to win over UConn. Uh, you know your only loss is to the defending national champs by six points, and really that was a you know a one or two possession game most of the way down in Orlando. So you've you've got a really good nucleus here, uh, to the point that certainly 500 in the ACC is going to get you to the postseason, and maybe you know going seven and nine in the league is going to get you to the postseason based on being 12 and one right now. That said, I think the thought on this year's team is that it's much more capable of winning 11 or 12 in the ACC, but you open against Virginia, the defending conference champs who are just brutal to play in terms of their pace of play and what they do. You get Duke two games later, and so all this feel good about basketball could quickly turn into a sub-500 record in the first week and a half of the season
1: in conference. Except, except, in years past you would go into the Virginia game or then they've got Miami and then Duke, and you'd be worried about getting blown out you'd be worried about losing by 24. I don't think there's a fear of getting blown out. Now, that could still happen, particularly against Duke with the talent that they have. But I think the expectation of going into these games is different. So you may, Tommy, you may end up being five hundred in ACC play, but you may have lost ball games, ACC conference games, by an average of 3.7 points instead of 13.7 points. And I think that goes back to two things. Number one, the way that Willard has recruited, and he's he's been fortunate to get a couple of three one-and-dones that have really helped. Uh, he's got some project kids like uh, Cabin Gailey that, that – Upside is still really, really good, and the way they've scheduled the non-conference games—and you and I have talked about this because we've called these games together—you uh, know they're not playing cupcakes. I mean, Winthrop is a is a one forty nine. I mean, that's middle of the pack, 351 schools. They're middle of the pack. They were averaging 90 points a ball game. This is not somebody that you wanted to come in and beat by 40 points. You wanted your kids to be tested. Leonard said that as much after the ball game. You know, these are the kind of teams we wanted to schedule that will make us better when we get into the ACC regular season. So, yeah, the one loss issue may be the same, but how Florida State plays in these games, I think, is going to be different this year. And I'm excited to see what 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 happens and how that plays out.
0: No, I'm excited, too, and I've reserved a little bit of judgment because Kofor has not been back. Now, he's back two games, but he's not in 100% shape yet, so he'll continue to ease in. But the two big issues, and he can solve both of these to a large degree. One of them is offensively, there haven't been enough bodies consistently knocking down outside shots. Now Kofor's back, he's doing it, Nichols is doing it. That will make things easier on Savoy and MJ Walker and, and even Forrester Mann because of the way teams have to defend you. So that's a win. But then defensively, I really think Florida State misses Ike from a year ago because they don't have that shot blocking presence that he would have brought. And there's been too much dribble drive penetration. And part of that has been new guys, you know, not moving their feet as well as when you when you shorten the bench a little bit, some of that will go away, but then again the competition ratchets up. So that's where I want to see improvement from Florida State. Not sure how quickly you're going to see that given that Virginia and Duke are two of the first three games, but I am excited about the year ahead.
1: And I think the 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 kids' attitude is different. Uh, I mean, they expect to play well in these big games, as they were rewarded uh, with their, their performances as uh, they went through the NCAA tournament last year. So the, the, there's a just completely different mindset about this group in the way they conduct themselves, the way they hold themselves, um, you know, their attitude on the on the on the court. Um, I'm really really excited. I'm not ready to go back to our conversation with Linnefeld and say that you know the the, the most likely team in 2019 to win a national championship is florida state's men's basketball team not ready to go there yet but i am excited about what this group can potentially put together and if they get some breaks and things go their way uh, it's not going to be out of the realm of possibility that they're among the two or three or four best in the acc when tournament time comes
0: the winthrop coach had a great quote yesterday as we finish up. He said, "He said, Florida State's like Noah's Ark. They've got two of everything. And that really is what Leonard has, coming off the bench. I mean, he's he's got clones, and and, and depth and, and length has been a big uh, part of what Leonard has recruited over the years, so it'll be fun to watch this unfold. Keith, I will be uh, back next week by your side. Uh, safe travels to uh, Charlottesville, and uh, and Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year to you, and safe travels back from uh, the, the Queen City, or, or is that what we call it? NOLA? Is that the Queen City? We call it a lot of
0: things, but Queen City is
1: not one of them. Big right. Easy How about is Crescent, is Crescent City, Big Easy? Crescent City. Okay, Crescent I'm getting closer. City. I'm getting closer. I, I can. Queen uh, City is Charlotte. There the Queens, we go. You're thinking ACC is what you're thinking. I, I stay confused. Our listeners know that. All right. We'll talk to you folks next week.
2: we no.